Welcome to Purgatory Wormholes, a podcast created by the International Wormhole Whispers to discuss our Winona Earp fan theories. I am Purgatory ISS, and today's podcast is entitled Friendly Murder Trees to Mind-Enslaving Cookies, and it will cover our theories regarding Season 3, Episode 4, No Cure for Crazy. Before we begin, please do follow us on Twitter and send us feedback. We really enjoy hearing from you. Hopefully, we will be able to publish our podcast on iTunes soon. We are working on it. Now let's get into some wormholes. This episode starts off with something I think we've all been waiting for. The trees. They are moving, getting people lost in the woods, jumping in front of revenants, and encasing people only to drip their blood out like sap. What is going on? Could the trees be a supernatural protective force that arise when great evil is about? There is some evidence for this. The massacre in 1996 where the forest was burned. Nicole comments on how quickly the forest has grown. Did the forest actually grow? Or did the forest move there to cleanse the earth of the evil brought about by the massacre? Something else Nicole mentions. That she was led to the water away from the massacre before it occurred. Is it possible one of these trees led her to the water and sheltered her from what was going on? And of course the most obvious is the tree that jumps out in front of the revenant Winona is chasing. Now it doesn't intervene, like maybe it can't, sort of like Juan Carlos, but it can definitely get in the way. But if they're protective, then how can they also be possibly murderous trees? Like, who's the guy in the tree dripping blood? If we go with the theory that it's a supernatural protective force, maybe the person in the tree is evil, and the tree has encased them to protect the rest of the universe from that person. I mean, it goes against the idea that the trees can't interfere, Unless passive-aggressive, super-bloody tree-hugging is perfectly okay. And I just have to ask, did nobody give Robin the memo that you never, ever, ever touch the goo? Speaking of Robin, our jazz-loving park ranger, he touches the blood, he licks it, yeah, and then later on he starts spitting dirt only to find suspicious foliage at his dad's place and then is dragged off, presumably, by a tree. Following the protective tree logic, it would seem that Robin may be up to no good. There's also some evidence for this. When was asked where his truck was, he evaded the question. It actually seemed like he didn't really want to answer it. When he starts coughing up dirt in the BBD offices, he says... Nothing. Just looks at it, calmly puts his hand away, and leaves the building. It almost seemed like he wasn't entirely surprised. And I'm wondering if it's not the first time he spit dirt. Did the trees mark him? Was he actually wandering the woods for some evil purpose? Is he marked to evolve to the next protective supernatural tree? Not sure. Whatever. We don't think Robin is all that he seems. Sorry, Jeremy. 
could the trees be guarding something special? Okay. The staircase, for example. The staircase that Jeremy just seems to know isn't for him and isn't for Robin. And it's a staircase that doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. It's not like there was a house or a second floor. But staircases are pathways up and down. So does the staircase go up or down? And why were Robin and Jeremy allowed to see it? Could it have been that Jeremy sensed it and it revealed itself so that Jeremy could pass that information along to who the staircase does belong to? Maybe Waverly? That this is her staircase to destiny? To whatever her purpose is? Could it be a literal staircase to heaven? Cue the music. Or is she supposed to go downward and maybe discover Bolsher's hidden lair? Not sure. Any combination of those theories could work. Now, a small but interesting wormhole to the side. Going back to Nicole stating that she was already down by the water when the massacre occurred. The idea of what led her to safety. Okay, one theory we already talked about, the tree. But what if it was Juan Carlos? Or what if Juan Carlos created maybe a Patronus situation where Nicole sees an angelic image, a spirit, and wanders down to the water? Regardless, we think that once at the water, after the massacre occurred, she was found by a young Deputy Nedley who took her away from safety, realizing the importance of a Bullshire survivor, something that didn't seem to get mentioned in too many of the files. We think he may have kept tabs on her, recognizing her importance, and then recruited her to come back to purgatory when the time was right. Nicole coming back has to matter. Her being the only survivor of a massacre has to matter. It must give her some sort of power or iconic role in this fight against Bolshar and the curse. Not really sure what it is, but given that she's soulmates with Waverly, that would seem to imply that her surviving a massacre and Waverly's as yet undetermined uniqueness, that the two of them together exude some power in this great fight. And that's why they are soulmates through time. They are a true power couple, now and forever. While we're speaking of power couples, let's talk about Jolene the Mad Baker and Mama Earp. Here's what we know. Whatever Jolene's baking, the brownies, the cookies, it makes people do her bidding. Some form of food-crazy brainwashing. She shows up right as Mama Earp has escaped from prison and is back at the homestead trying to complete a ritual. A ritual that is supposed to either purge the demon or keep the demon away from Waverly. Something that she knew was going to come for Waverly as soon as Waverly showed up at the prison. As if somehow Waverly seeing Mama Earp unlocked the demon from wherever it was being kept. Bonded to Mama Earp. But there's an actual creepy-looking demon in the barn. 
some kind of love child from the grunge and that creepy doll in season two is standing behind Waverly and she screams. Are Jolene and that demon the same? One theory was that maybe they are like a Jekyll and Hyde situation, like two opposite sides, maybe in a fight for each other for purpose we don't know. could be that the mind-altering food is like a glamour. Not really sure, but what does this have to do with Bullshire? Okay, that was mostly questions and very little theory. Let's talk about the relationship between Mama and the demon, whether that demon be Jolene or that grunge doll creature. Mama brought Waverly to the homestead when she was a baby. I think that means Mama took the baby from somewhere because she knew the baby was in danger. I'm not sure how. Here are some ideas. Waverly is actually the demon's daughter. And Mama stole her from the demon, realizing it was going to either sacrifice Waverly or raise her to be like Willa in the treehouse, some crazy demon advocate. But again, that begs the question, how did Mama know about Waverly at all? So I had this one crazy idea, that maybe the demon and Mama knew each other from the early 1990s. That maybe Mama had made some deal with a demon, and out of that came a child. Okay, that sounds a bit far-fetched. Maybe the demon used her baking skills and conned Mama. Seduced Ward, created an herb-demon hybrid. I know, I know. She's supposedly not an herb, but I, and certainly we at the Wormhole Whispers, don't really trust that DNA test. I'm not sure what quack shack she sent her DNA, and who knows who else is to. I keep thinking about that revenant near daddy of Alice outside of Pussy Willows talking about how it was rumored that there was an ermine, uh, an herb demon heir. Maybe it is Waverly. Maybe the whole DNA test is a red herring, something to throw us off the scent. Just thought. However it happened, Mama kept the demon away from Waverly for six years until it finally found Waves. Mama tried to perform a ritual but ended up bonding the demon to herself. Now, was that a mistake? Or did she do that intentionally knowing that that way she could ensure the demon would never get Waverly? I meant to try and figure out which, when did Ward turn 27? When in this timeline did he actually become the heir? I think it would be very interesting to find that out. But going back to this scene in the barn, what happened in that barn? Did she really intentionally burn it down, or was that an accident? If it's anything similar to the ritual she was doing at the end of episode 4, it could be in the struggle the candles toppled over and the barn caught on fire. Or, what if Ward set the barn on fire to kill them both? We don't like that guy. I think it's entirely possible he would have tried to do something like that. Now, going back to Jolene and what her role could be, whether she's a demon or not. Maybe she's a fairy witch. One of the things that struck us is that 
she's this intense homemaker look about her and has exaggerated mannerisms that remind you of Waverly, the consummate host, always making with the baked goods. I mean, in Waverly's case, it was finger sandwiches, but you get the point. Going back to the grunge doll creature in the barn and Jolene, the homemaker in the house, are the light and dark of a demon. Maybe these are reflections of the opposite sides of Waverly. You recall, Mishkin did say there was darkness in her. Whatever it is Jolene's motives are, she needs obedience. She needs those characters to do something on her behalf, something she can't do herself. I'm very interested to find out what this is and to find out if it's actually related to Bullshore or not. For now, I'd like to talk about what I thought was one of the more powerful scenes in this episode. And it was the scene that I call The Crossroads. And if you're not familiar with The Crossroads lore, The Crossroads is a place that only appears to desperate people that are willing to sacrifice anything to get what they desire. The crossroad appears, and they are offered a bargain from the devil. They sell, usually, a part of their soul to get fame, fortune, or, in Doc's case, relief from the memories of hell. I really think he's going to take it. I really think that Doc is going to do whatever task it is that Bolsher wants him to do in the misguided belief that if he is released from his memories of hell, he will be a better fighter to help the crew defeat Bolshar in the end. He is gambling with his own sanity, and he is definitely gambling with the life of everyone in that town. And I absolutely think he's going to do it. Because I think he believes that he will succeed in the end. I'm not so sure this is going to end well for Doc. And I both am nervous but look forward to scenes with the rest of the cast when his deal becomes known. Because it is always going to come out. The devil feeds on betrayal and strife. And I feel like that's what's going to be in store for Doc. No real theories there, just more opinions. The last wormhole I want to talk about, or the last idea we had, was this itchy behavior of Peacemaker. Sometimes working, sometimes not working. Why wasn't it able to shoot that revenant? There have been many theories in the past, and certainly we've discussed theories for this many seasons now, about Peacemaker somehow being sentient and connected to the air. This could be translated into thinking that the Peacemaker feeds off the air as much as the air feeds off Peacemaker in terms of energy. And if the air is flailing in their belief that they can accomplish this task, if they lose devotion to it, then it's possible Peacemaker loses some of its ability to function. And we certainly know that Winona is right now failing in her belief that she can be the heir. So, because something in Winona is lacking at the moment, Peacemaker is not functioning the way that it should. Maybe it can sense her doubt. Maybe it's thinking about going dormant until the next heir shows up. 
or until Winona gets her head back in the game. <laughs> One of our more practical wormhole whispers merely theorized that Peacemaker wouldn't shoot the Revenant because the tree would have been injured and the tree are friends, not foe. Um, or they are somehow supernaturally blocking Peacemaker's power. This actually makes a great deal of sense. But I do find it odd that a supernatural gun is suddenly out of bullets when it has never needed a reload up until this point. I kind of feel like maybe it's being like a stubborn toddler and forcing Winona and Doc to feed it until they can get their head back in the game and get back into hero mode. Whew. That was lots of ideas. Lots of wormholes. Lots and lots of discussions. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and found interesting points you may or may not have considered. I'm sorry that I can't credit each of our wormhole whispers for who contributed to what idea. In case you couldn't tell, my mind rambles and I switch between I and we quite frequently. So, sorry to my wormhole whispers for not recognizing you with the theories that you contributed to this. But if this inspires you, our listeners, to come up with some of your own, please share it with us on Twitter. Or if you have any comments about what you've heard in this podcast, please share it with us on Twitter. And if some of you hearing my voice were expecting Dr. Emily Garrett, our fictitious medical examiner for the Ghost River Triangle, sorry if you were disappointed. Dr. Garrett is off getting oxygen infusions in a seed wheat wrap. Once cleansed and refreshed, I'm sure she will be back with her G-spot for your attention. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks to all of my wormhole whispers for the information I was able to speak about today. This is the end of our podcast on friendly murderous trees to mind-enslaving cookies. And as always, a big thank you to the cast, crew, producers, and writers of Winona Earp. You help make our world a more interesting place. See you next time, Erpers.